As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the On Farm podcast. It's Anna here with you this week and a topic that, as will become clear, is quite close to my heart. So this week we welcome Gillespie McAndrew, not just as our long-term and loyal sponsors, but also as our contributors for this episode, because as you will hear, getting some of their legal expertise on this topic. So without further ado, I shall let them introduce themselves and go into a bit more detail on the topic of fly tipping or in this case extreme fly tipping and what we can all do about it. Hi my name's Connor McConnell I am a senior solicitor in Gillespie McAndrews dispute resolution team. Hi I am Elaine Kennedy Walton I am an associate solicitor in Gillespie McAndrews land and rural business team. Now I, I've told this this little anecdote in kind of a light-hearted way in the past but actually Based on what we're about to talk about, it, it shouldn't be lighthearted at all. But I fed my daughter's pony this morning and he gets this these pony nuts that I have to soak in water. And the pony nuts live inside an old freezer, which is turned on its side. So I lift the lid up, kind of turned it on its side like a chest freezer. Now, we came upon this chest freezer because somebody dumped it in our farm gateway and my husband said, I'm going to have to find something to do with this. I can't leave it there because I can't get the sprayer into the field. And on that one occasion, I said, well, actually, I could find a use for this freezer. But it, this is not a lighthearted conversation because it, this is not the only time that this has happened to us. It's probably that happened. I've lived here for 13 years and it, we must have had stuff dumped in gateways at the side of fields at least five or six times during that that period. And that's what we're talking about today, aren't we? We're talking about fly tipping and dumping. And actually, we're going to talk about something which was a new phrase for me, which is extreme fly tipping. And and we'll come on to that in a minute. But this is a real issue, isn't it? You know, farmers and landowners across the whole of Scotland are finding things that they don't want and that don't belong to them and that are effectively somebody else's rubbish dumped in places that they then have to deal with. Connor, I'll maybe come to you first. Is it this something that that you deal with a lot on your in your day to day work? It it certainly arises quite often. It's it's interesting. You, you've you've given an anecdote there, Anna. It's very much the same for myself. You see this all over, particularly the the, the central belt. I've found in in Edinburgh. I'm just I live just outside of of city centre in Edinburgh itself. And funnily enough, more recently, I've seen quite an uptake in in fly tipping in the area, and certainly 
through the uh, help that we give to some of our rural clients, we find that this is an issue that does relatively often come up, whether it's a abandoned fridge freezer or black bin bags or the contents of um, a refurbished kitchen or something like that, which has been dumped on their property. And of course, the first question that comes up is, what do I do now? Yes, and and that's exactly the the, the question that, that came up when it happened to us. Now I know Elaine. When it first happened to us, I had not long left a job at NFU Scotland, so I knew about the Dumb Dumpers helpline, which I phoned, and actually, um, fantastically, within two hours, somebody had come and taken everything away. That helpline isn't available anymore. So I suppose the question is the first question. You know, we've got I've got so many questions for you, but the first question is if if you are a victim of this and you find something, what what any of the examples Connor's given, or even more extreme examples, which we'll come on to later, what what is the first thing we need to do? Uh, Anna, I, I sympathise with you having repeat offences of fly tipping on your farm it is a pattern that we have noticed and unfortunately it's very difficult to monitor in a rural area for farmers and for landowners um, equally because it's, it's not practical to put up CCTV in those loca- locations and take some of the preventative measures that are easier to organise in um, more in city centres, etc. Your first port of call ought to be the local authority. Um, it does also depend on the type of rubbish it is and whether you know if it's if it's if it looks like it's criminal in any way, then the police should also be informed. Do you know happen to know if if we need to contact the local authority? Is that information quite easy to come by? Is there a website that that where we can just go in and get that information or, or are they making it challenging for us? Are they just giving us another job to do? <laughs> I've not checked all of the local authority websites because clearly there's, there's quite a number across Scotland, but the ones that I have been on most recently do have a, um, a page that supports and gives sort of advice on fly tipping and what can be done about it and what their, their role is. Some of the local authorities even offer some grant schemes. Um, Falkirk, for example, they're they offer some funding to help um, offset the costs of cleaning up because there is a financial cost here um, across Scotland. There's mm-hmm. 60,000 incidents have been reported over the last year and the costs are estimated to be in the region of £10 million. So it's not insignificant. Oh, absolutely. And and yeah, I suppose we've we've been lucky. What we've found has been relatively easy to clear up. There's not been anything that's been hazardous or toxic. I gained some some horse feed storage out of it, but but again, it's it's not to be flippant. You know, it's it still took time. We needed to get the forklift bucket out. We needed to fill it up. Then, actually, I think we probably did need to hire a skip to to get rid of it. And it, you know, it's, this is all time that that farmers don't have, and it's just a lack of understanding. Also, that that people need to farmers need to get on with with the job and get on with the work and if 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 there's fridge freezers blocking the gateway you you can't always do that now i suppose that the list is endless of of things that that we could find dumped in the countryside and, and people listening have probably found all sorts of things 
And I know also that there have been quite a few videos on social media of farmers confronting people, taking videos to, to, to try and prove what's happening. And what we were keen to talk about today is, is something that I know that Gillespie McAndrew have recently written an article about, which is becoming more prevalent, and that's what's called extreme fly tipping. Connor, can you give us a bit of a background as to what exactly extreme fly tipping is? Yes. So I suppose when we talk about extreme fly tipping, what we're meaning here is um, above and beyond the examples that we we gave earlier. So your black bin bags or your your fridge freezer or otherwise, we're talking perhaps mostly cars or caravans, something which might not be so obviously abandoned. There might be that element of doubt as to whether or not someone is intended to come back for this. That'll often be where you see the likes of cars and caravans coming into it. Now, the issue there, or the, I suppose that the starting point is actually that it's much in the sa- same way as any other fly tipping. It starts off as the starting premise has to be that if it's on your property, you're the one that unfortunately has to bear the burden of of getting rid of it. Where it's different and it goes over and above your regular fly tipping as it were is that if it turns out the property isn't abandoned you risk um, your own liability for taking steps to to get rid of it ah so kind of not not a black and white situation then and i suppose by not abandoned do you mean perhaps that there could be a car that somebody's effectively living inside or still or or effectively they've decided to park it there but haven't actually abandoned it it will always come down to the the facts of the matter in any given set of circumstances whether or not um by law a piece of property is deemed abandoned or not um you would expect or at least um possibly anticipate that in a scenario where it's a car or a caravan there will be doubts over whether or not it has simply been left and someone is intending to come back for it for whatever reason it may have been left there in the first place or that as it might be suspected it has simply been abandoned so in that scenario the risk lies in you removing the the item in question and then someone coming back and saying you have unlawfully got rid of of something that belongs to me in that scenario there is a a statutory obligation on a person to report the matter to the local authority and to the police. Um, That is the Civic Government Scotland Act 1982. What should result from that is that the police should then within I believe two months um, provide you with um, a direction in terms of what you should do with the, the item. They may be able to give that direction earlier than two months but you are obliged during that time to take reasonable care of the item. That's the law. In practice, are the police going to provide you with directions within those that two-month window or at all? Um, I think we can accept that with the way things currently are, resources are, are tight and that might not be the, the case. So that's left, that leaves the landowner with the question, what do I do in this situation? The belt and braces approach in that scenario is that you go to court and you ask the local sheriff court for an order which effectively sanctions um, the removal of the the item in question. Um, In that instance, you've then got the protection of the sheriff court order. Should anyone come out the woodwork sometime later and say, well, hold on, that wasn't abandoned or or, or a fly-tipped caravan or car, it was mine and I was coming back to it, you're protected at that point. And that would always be our advice in that instance when you're dealing with something which is less obviously fly-tipped or abandoned property. 
Um, but presumably that would that would incur you a cost, would it, to go through that process? Unfortunately, it would, yes. Um, mm. And again, that comes back to the very unsatisfactory initial point, which is that if uh, items are, are dumped on, on private land, it's that private landowner who ultimately has to, at present mm. at least, bear the, the cost of, of taking that forward and remedying the situation. My non-legal uh, background would have led me to assume that, that actually... We'll be talking more likely to be talking time frame. So I would have assumed that that somebody dumps a car on my land, and that actually a certain time must pass. And after that time period has passed, then the assumption can be that that vehicle has been abandoned. But from what you're saying, that that's my assumption is not not relevant or correct at all. It's it's not based on that. It's just it's based on effectively having to go through the proper processes to ensure that that you're not disposing of something that the that somebody considers to still belong to them. It's it's not based on a time scale, but you're right in saying that it's a relevant factor. So um right. when the court has to consider whether or not an item has been abandoned, how long it's been there will absolutely play a play a part in that particularly when it's something you would expect wouldn't be left for a, a sustained period of time like a, a car or a caravan say so that would absolutely play a, a, a part in it and um, you would like to think that in these circumstances if given the costs involved in, in raising proceedings you would likely expect that someone would give time for something to be removed before taking that next step um, and so i would hope expect that in those circumstances, when you got to the point of raising court proceedings, a court would be sympathetic, um, taking at face value what appears to be abandoned property. And during that passage of time, there are some steps that you can take to help build your case so that when by the time you go to court, you have a very persuasive, robust case um, that's that the court are going to agree with. So, for example, you could evidence it with photographs. You could put a notice on the car, asking for it to be removed, pointing out that it's on private land, for example. And by doing that, you're building the strongest possible case that you can while you're waiting for the po- the remote possibly possibility that is going to be picked up by the, the, the keeper or the owner. Another question has just occurred to me, actually. But what, what would you do if it was, you know, farms are big places. You could have a car dumped in an area that, let's face it, is not going to get in your way that you could effectively ignore but you could also have a a car or a caravan or something large dumped in a place where actually it can't stay there because you need access to a farm building or to a field if if it was that sort of scenario elaine what what would you do then because obviously that that brings more of a sense of an urgency to to having to deal with it i think in those circumstances it would not be unreasonable to tow the car to a close road would you agree with that connor the the main thing in terms of the legislation is that you take reasonable care of the the item until such time mm-hmm. as you've got your direction to do it elsewise with it so i agree that that towing it out of the the way of any immediate access route or otherwise would and it would depend on the circumstances in any given situation but generally speaking would perhaps be be okay it may very well be that it must remain on on your property, though, in that in that scenario. Perhaps, given that once it's off your property, it's no longer your responsibility. And the point being that we said earlier on was that in that scenario, you run the risk that if anything were to happen to it once it's off your land and you have put it in that position, um, you might then be liable for that. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Elaine, I have to say, when I when I first read the article that Gillespie McAndrew had had published about this issue, I was I, I suppose quite surprised that that it was a big issue, you know. And and the article very clearly says that that this the, these vehicles is it's becoming an increasing problem. Do you have a handle on why that might be? Because you know. Certainly, I've—it's not something I've experienced firsthand, and you know, we can all expect that it would probably happen once in a while. But for it to increase is—is is a bit worrying. It is a worrying trend, um, and this article was as a result of a a, cl- a client-led query on this because it had happened to them on a number of occasions, and we were reiterating the same advice as we've discussed today. Um, so, I mean, the reasons for that. A lot of times it's happening in remote locations, so perhaps there's a logistical problem with these larger items being disposed of. It's, it can be quite expensive to do that, so there's probably economic reasons for that. Also, potential barriers to, and this speaks to general fly tipping as well, potential barriers. Is it easy now to recycle these things? Is it easy to get access to recycling centres? Is there perhaps payments being levied? Is there set hours only that, that people can go in to these recycling centres? There has been changes as a result of COVID. And I think in some areas, the changes have meant that it is less easy for people to get in and to recycle their waste. I think also people are still staycationing. So perhaps they are going to these places with caravans or with cars, something happens and they break down and they can't be bothered fixing them, unfortunately. Yeah, that very good point, actually. And I had, I'd forgotten until you mentioned it just now, but I'm worried, actually, that we might see an increased incidence because there was, until recently, a recycling centre probably about four miles down the road from us. And um, I read on social media that it is, is imminently closing because of council budget cuts and so people will have to go further to get rid of their waste and and many people unfortunately may decide that they can't be bothered to do that and i I, i'm also and i think i've always been astonished at the fact that it it, is the lando's owner's responsibility to to pay for this i mean that 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 would require a fundamental change i suppose um in the law do you think that's coming or do you think it will always be the landowner's responsibility to to foot the bill for this the the government are looking to help landowners in this respect there is a a bill called the circular economy bill which is making its way through parliament at the moment and the idea behind that is that it's going to help reduce waste and there's going to be a new penalty regime to address littering from vehicles as part of that and to make it easier to um, have vehicles seized which have been involved in waste crimes that clearly is going to take a little bit of time. They have also increased the the penalties. I'm not sure on what is as against England, but the, the figure now is, I believe, £500, which is more than doubled what it was as of last year. Of course, that requires the person who has actually done the fly tipping to be caught. On, on that point, and Elaine had mentioned it earlier on about reporting anything to the local authority and to the police, I tend to find that the the response you often get as well, you know, it's in a rural area, the fly tipping has now happened, is there any real point in reporting this to the police now, is anything going to actually happen? And we have to be honest and say that in these circumstances it can be difficult for um, 
anyone to be caught after the fact. However, I would still always encourage people to get in contact with the police if for no other reason than to report for the purposes of starting a pattern. Um, it may be that this provides the police with information as to where people are regularly going to fly tip. Alternatively, if at some point someone is caught in the act, as it were, um, they may be able to um, identify it with really in relation to previous um, similar occasions. So it can be um, useful, and so you would. The advice would always still be to to report it um, in any in each individual time it's happened to report it in in each uh, scenario. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose one of the the questions that's always in my mind is is the balance between wanting to to stop this happening and wanting to to prosecute the people who who are doing it, but also having personal safety in mind. Uh, and I know certainly we, we have a friend who caught some people in dumping on his land and he stuck around and took quite extensive video footage of this happening. So he had uh, video images of the perpetrators and the vehicle that they were in. And my question, you know, now that I'm lucky enough to have two lawyers in front of me, my my question to you, I suppose, is: Is that legitimate? Are we allowed to do that? Personal safety aside, I think if I was him, I would might have questioned how safe that was if he was on his own. And I think there were two perpetrators, so that might not be a sensible thing to do from a personal safety perspective. But if if we can do it safely, are, are we allowed to do that? And does that? video content help as evidence i'm not aware of anything that would stop you from being able to to um video anyone in that in that set of circumstances uh, and as you say in terms of of evidence that's as that's as good as as anything else i suppose far better than what you would otherwise expect so safety safety point aside as you said the fact that that your your friend has been able to to um, has been on site and been able to take that would be far more than a lot of people will get in in similar circumstances yeah i i was worried about his safety but i think actually if you can do it safely you want you want as much information as you can I mean, one one of the idiots who dumped stuff on our um it, it side of our field um had left a an Amazon box, which still had a name and a full address on it. Um, so um, I didn't go and knock on their door, but at least we were able to work out who it was and where it had come from. That's, that's certainly helpful to be able to identify who has dumped the waste. But obviously, if there's a, if there's a chance that, it's, that the, 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 the waste is hazardous or unhygienic in any way, we wouldn't mm. be recommending that anybody was, would be searching through the waste if possible. No, absolutely, and I think, I think it, it's common sense, isn't it, to just to think about safety first, whether it's touching something dangerous or confronting people who might be dangerous. I think we do need to be careful. But I think this, gosh, this whole thing actually generates quite a lot of anger. I think amongst the farming community because it just shows. I mean, I'm straying off. I'm straying off. You know, legal questions here, but it, it just. It shows a complete lack of respect for the people who are out there doing their best to, to grow our food. And, and instead, their, their land is being used as a dumping ground. I worry that, that people will be a little too confrontational if they do find somebody. But at the same time, keeping a distance and having a video, uh, your phone set for video is, is probably a very good idea. So do you think this problem is just going to, to increase then? And, and is there anything we can do to try and stop that? In terms of steps that you can take to 
mitigate against the risk of um, fly tipping. Perhaps the most obvious one is um, putting up some form of, of barrier or obstruction to stop um, what is often vehicles coming in for the purposes of dumping um, large amounts of, of waste. Perhaps the kind of classic example of a, a, a rural dirt track where you get to the end of it, you get to a dead end and, and lo and behold, you're, you're met with, with a bit of a rubbish tip. You do see, in fact, close to where I live, someone's taken this measure of putting up uh, concrete barriers to stop um, vehicles going into what is otherwise a, a gap in a, in a um, brick wall that's been used recently as a, as a fly tipping area. I think people are sometimes reluctant to do that, and with good reason. We have right to roam legislation in Scotland. We have a system of law relating to when neighbouring owners can use access tracks or otherwise take access over your property and you cannot infringe on those rights. So you can't put an obstruction in place that stops people from lawfully exercising their public or, or private law rights. That's not the same as saying you cannot put up any form of obstruction at all for the purposes of, of stopping fly tipping. It just has to be one which doesn't limit another person's uh, lawful usage. So we would always advise in that, those circumstances, if you are finding that you have land which is being used constantly and, and nothing is, is stopping that, take advice on what options might be available to you to try and mitigate against that without straying from the law yourself in terms of anyone else's mm -hmm. access rights. I mean, I suppose uh, most people listening, if not all people listening, will know this, but um, the right of responsible access does not extend to motor vehicles. So actually, as long as you are not preventing people from exercising responsible access on foot or on a horse or whatever, then that's okay. That's that's correct. The one The one slight caveat is that in relation to access rights, private access rights, what we call servitudes, and those are in favour of, of neighbouring owners effectively. Um, if those exist in relation to your land, they might relate to vehicular access as well. Um, for those specific people. For those specific people. Yes. So so yes. you've got a neighbour who takes access to the main road through your field and they're entitled to do that by way of their car. Um, you would be um, in breach of that if you were to um, put something in place which stopped all vehicles, whether that person making use of that right or someone coming on to, to fly tip. So therein lies the, the the reason to get legal advice before before putting that in place. You're, you're of course absolutely right in relation to the right to roam side of things and indeed the I'd mentioned earlier on the the, the steps that some of my neighbours have taken which uh, amounted to just putting a, a cement barricade in place which um, people can easily get over on foot um, but stops any cars from from coming onto what is otherwise just a, a, a bare bit of ground. Elaine, uh, this may be asking for your opinion rather than for your legal expertise but if you're happy to share it, this article, Gillespie McCandrell article, talked about an increase. Do you think we're still facing that increase? Is there anything else that we can do to try and mitigate some of this in some way? Unfortunately, I can't see that this is going to be a problem that will simply disappear because the types of people who carry out these actions are not going to be deterred by increased fines in my view yes it helps and probably it helps the people who have been victims and landowners are victims in these circumstances it probably gives them a little bit more peace of mind but are the fines enough do we need harsher penalties i would say yes in my view 
So actually, this this brings me on perhaps to maybe we're talking about a bit of lobbying here. You know, I know that you operate the the NFU Scotland helpline, which is a helpline that members of NFUS can call if they've got a, a legal issue or question to to ask. Obviously, this issue has cropped up there many times. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. But actually, yeah, I wonder if this is if 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 I should throw this back to NFU Scotland and say there needs to be a greater lobbying going on to try and increase the penalties because ultimately that this crime needs to become as off-putting as possible for the criminals otherwise they'll just they'll just keep doing it particularly where it involves landowners going to court because going to court is not cheap and we would usually say that it should be a last resort but in these circumstances we are advising that a belt and braces approach would be best and that clients should be taking people to court but at the moment the way the legislation is they don't have way to recoup their costs fully because even if you're successful in obtaining expenses at court it tends not to cover the full amount of your legal costs unfortunately. From a moral perspective rather than a legal perspective that's just madness isn't it but I suppose the argument is well well who should pay for it if it's not the landowner who should pay for it and it's probably not likely to be the perpetrator there is another potential complication with cars and more frequently caravans and that if someone is potentially living in a car or a caravan it really does up the ante from a point of view of potential eviction yeah the general rule is that you cannot remove someone from occupation without a court order sanctioning that there are caveats to that but in line with with the kind of tone that we've taken so far here the belt and braces approach is that you get that court sanction to remove someone so again that involves cost to the landowner the time scales are typically far quicker than you may otherwise expect in court proceedings Normally, because it's accepted that in these in the, these scenarios, a, a person is there without any right or title to be on the the land. What that means in practice is that the notice period that normally has to be given to someone to raise court proceedings against them is reduced from normally twenty one days to uh, forty eight hours. And normally, the time period it takes once you get your court order to go from that point to be able to being able to enforce the court order is reduced from, I think, typically 14 days to immediately, effectively. So what you do is you go to court, you make them aware of the the circumstances, you ask for that immediate hearing, and assuming the court is willing to grant the order, you should get it that day and should be in a position to give it to sheriff officers who are able to enforce sheriff court decisions. They then take forward the actual um, eviction itself. So they will serve that on the um, the person living on the property um, and subsequently uh, enforce the removal if they don't remove voluntarily. You know, you say go to court, court proceedings. How do you initiate that? Do you go through the police in the first instance? How how does that process work? Where, where What's the, the literal starting point for that process? If, if you think you've got somebody living in a vehicle on your land that shouldn't be there. The, the starting point would be to to instruct a solicitor in that instance. It's not a it's not a criminal matter, it's a it's a civil matter. And whilst 
I don't think there's any harm in informing the police, and particularly if it's someone that you don't know that's on your land, you don't know what they're like, whether they are themselves a danger, or indeed whether they themselves are in danger. Getting in contact with the police is, is certainly a completely appropriate thing to do. But in terms of actually removing them, the um, police will tell you it's a civil matter. And so your next step would be to instruct a solicitor. It would be our job then to draft what's called an initial writ, which sets out the background to the matter and asks the court for that order to remove. It would then be your solicitor who would um, appear in court and ask the, the court to grant that order. There is nothing stopping uh, an individual from doing that themselves, but in classic sheriff court fashion it might not be as intuitive as it might otherwise be in terms of the drafting side of things and the the um, progressing the court action itself to get to that point and indeed to get to it as quickly as um, one can provided that they know that there's these steps you can take to reduce the overall time periods involved to get you from person living on your land to court order to get rid of them so it, it- is this something that, that you can help with? So if people are having this trouble, should they come to you directly or should they go via the NFU Scotland helpline? How, how might that work if, if they're keen to, to use your services? The NFU helpline is a free service for members um, so they can contact us on that for some free advice. They can also get in touch with us to instruct us to carry the matter forward if that's what they wish to do. More than happy to help. Thank you. The things that have really stuck with me are evidence. What we want, if somebody has has illegally dumped anything on your land, is the removal of that that item or items, and ideally the prosecution of the people concerned so that we can make steps to to stop this happening again. And for that, evidence is required. And and I suppose my, my caveat for that is just be safe while you're gathering that evidence but get as get as much as you can because somebody somewhere in the process is going to ask for it for it connor what would what would be your kind of uh hit home message or, or summary of what we've talked about get in contact with the police notwithstanding that you might have reservations over whether something um might or might not be done as a result of that step um and be aware that there are steps that you might be able to take yourself to mitigate against the risk of this happening in your own land, but perhaps take legal advice on that before going ahead and putting anything in place. Thanks, Cora. Elaine? Not to rush into doing anything prejudicial. We would not advocate confronting perpetrators. We would not advocate removing vehicles without seeking legal advice first of all and taking the correct procedures that belt embraces approach that we've spoken about and communication with local authority with the police with neighbours could be that your neighbours have a CCTV camera in a particular place that catches it so again building building your case great thank you both very much we always put show notes uh, with every episode so we'll make sure that we've got details of the legal helpline in there so that people uh, know who to contact so thank you both very much for your time that was really really informative and i really appreciate it thank you very much so thank you again to Connor and to Elaine from Gillespie McAndrew uh, for giving us the benefit of their knowledge and expertise there. I hope it's been helpful. As we all know, fly tipping is a blight on the landscape. So the more we can do to tackle it, the better. And thank you again to Gillespie McAndrew for their ongoing sponsorship of the On Farm podcast, which could not survive without them. 
so that's it from me this week uh, we will be back again next week and thank you very much for listening <laughs>